0: So thank you for your welcome, Richard. Uh, Could we turn to Acts chapter um, 9, verse 36? There are two passages this morning, the first in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, which we've already read, the story of um, Darius' daughter being uh, raised from the dead. We've read that, and I want to read the second passage uh, to you. Acts chapter 9, and verse uh, 36. In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which being translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time she became, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydia was near Jop, Joppa, uh, sorry, Lydda was near Joppa, and when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him, urging him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. And all the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. And Peter sent them out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up and he took her by the hand and helped her to to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. May God uh, bless His Word to us. Well, thank you very much for coming along this morning. The topic uh, this morning is uh, the healing of Jairus's daughter, as we've read in Mark chapter 5. And uh, The subtitle is Suffering, so my first objective is to ensure that your suffering is minimized over the next half an hour. In Mark chapter 5, we read actually of three dramatic encounters that Jesus had with people. The first, the second, and the third we read about this morning, the healing of the woman with the issue of blood, and then the third was the raising of Jairus' daughter. But the first one was also interesting, and it was um, the man who was possessed by demons who Jesus cleansed. So, in that chapter alone, we have three miracles where the power of the law of Jesus was demonstrated that he indeed was who he claimed to be, the Son of God. He healed a man who had demons rather than just mental health issues. He healed a woman who had severe physical problems. And thirdly, he raised a girl from the dead. And as we address these issues, we will come to the question, why is there suffering in the world? I should give a little health warning at the start. When you're talking or trying to deal from a Christian perspective on the subject of suffering, you have to, in a sense, take a biblical approach, a theological approach. And if you're sitting in here and you're suffering, it could be physical pain, it could be mental anguish, it could be worry, it could be just a whole host of things. That is probably not what you need. But I trust that God will give us the humility and wisdom to portray these concepts of, of why God allows suffering in the world in a way that may help uh, each one of us in the situation that we find ourselves. We read in Mark chapter 5 that uh, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee. He went across to, if you're looking at a map, the right-hand side, and that was the Gentile side. And a large crowd, everywhere by this stage that Jesus went, crowds were, uh, were, were following him because his miracles were becoming well-known. And this madman who was possessed with many demons, uh, who lived in the tombs, he'd been jailed because he was a threat to the population, but he'd escaped and he escaped his chains and he was living in in, in these uh, caves. He was a clear case of demonic possession. And Jesus cleansed the man of his demons. And Scripture tells us the, the demons left the man's body and entered into a herd of pigs, but ran down into the lake and drowned. Now, the the people on that side of the lake were kind of upset because this was ruining their business of rearing pigs, and they pleaded for him or threatened him to leave. So Jesus left that area, crossed the boat back to the left-hand side of the Sea of Galilee uh, once again, and then large crowds are following him. And as as he's passing uh, through these crowds, he's going to a meal, a man comes up to him and throws himself at his feet. Mark tells us this man was Jairus and Jairus pleads with Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she might be healed and live. Uh, If if you're a parent, you may well have had that anguish of having a little child ill and you don't know what to do. You take it to the doctors, it's maybe rushed down to hospital and it is an awful situation to, be put, putting your, to have found yourself in a situation of worry and anguish and, and torment. So, who was Jairus? Well, again, Mark tells us he was a ruler of the synagogue, um, maybe someone who was very, very well established and known in the community, the equivalent, I suppose, of a, a high vicar or, or a bishop. And he managed both the spiritual and physical affairs of the synagogue in that, in that area. And generally, the rulers of synagogues were not big fans of Jesus. Jesus had already been put out of the synagogue uh, in in Nazareth, and he was seen as an enemy to the established religion. But here we have a ruler of the synagogue coming to Jesus, and he throws himself at Jesus' feet. That is remarkable because there were lots of people around. They saw this man throwing himself at Jesus' feet and pleading with Jesus to heal his daughter. His dignity was cast aside in the urgency and in the need of having his daughter attended to. Now, Jesus' response was immediate. He got up and went with Jairus. But again, large crowds are surrounding him. And outside, it was Matthew's house I think he was in, they were trying to get a view of Jesus. And as he made his way towards Jairus' house, another incident occurs. A woman who'd been ill, we're told with an issue of blood, so internal bleeding, who for many, many years had spent everything she had in an attempt to be healed. So not only was she very sick, but she was outcast, she was destitute, she had nothing left. And because of the nature of her illness, she was ceremonially unclean, so she couldn't associate with normal society. This is someone at the very bottom of the heap of humanity in terms of suffering mental and physical pain. Now, many people were crowding around Jesus. I'm sure pushing against him as he jostled his way through the crowd. But she came up behind Jesus and we're told she thought, if I touch his cloak, I will be healed. She did that and the effect was immediate. As soon as she touched his cloak, she felt in her body she'd been healed from her suffering. Now, again, we can imagine with so many people surrounding Jesus, uh, it would be normal that people would be brushing against him, but but her faith was just to touch his garment. Do you know, there's a huge difference between being a member of a crowd touching and jostling off Jesus and that woman who had faith to touch him. Maybe you come to church week after week to kind of bump into Jesus. It's a good thing to do. It makes you feel okay. And yeah, they talk about God, they talk about Jesus, they talk about salvation, but actually, I'm here, that's the main thing. You bump into Jesus. But that's not the same as reaching out and touching him in faith as the woman did. But that incident also tells us something about Jesus because it says he felt that power had gone out of him when she touched his robe. And that tells us that there's a cost to healing for Christ. And every time Jesus healed someone, it took something out of him. But Jesus turned to her and said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, what about Jairus? Jairus' daughter is on the point of death. He's trying to rush Jesus back to his home to heal his daughter. And here Jesus is starting having this conversation with this rather odd woman. His frustration, his desperation must have been extreme. And then while Jesus was still talking to the woman, men rushed up and said, Jairus, your daughter is dead why bother the teacher anymore? Do you know what Jesus did? He turned to Jairus and said, and I've read this passage many times, but it hadn't hit me like this. He said, don't be afraid, just believe. Those are amazingly powerful words. And as you sit here today, it's not just physical pain or physical suffering, but it's it's mental suffering that we can sometimes come with. Those amazing words of Jesus saying, Don't be afraid, just believe. C.S. Lewis has written an amazing book called The Problem of Pain. And he makes the point that we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. Those words of Jesus, don't be afraid, just believe, can can enter our hearts today and give us relief from the suffering, the anxiety that we may have. What beautiful words of reassurance and comfort. And maybe you're here this morning and your mind's in a turmoil. Maybe you're facing huge problems that you can't cope with, you don't see a, a way through, the road seems dark ahead. And take a moment to reflect on Jesus' words, don't be afraid just believe. As children of God made sons and daughters through the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, we've entered into His family. He loves and He cares for us, and I believe He won't cause us suffering, but He will help us through it. Maybe it's important to differentiate between two questions that are often asked. Typically, Uh, the atheist will often use the argument against God's existence of saying, how can a loving God cause all this suffering? If God existed in this world, why is it so prone to pain and suffering and injustice? And why, if He exists, does He not intervene if He has the power to do so? But it's an entirely different question, and I would reject that accusation that God causes all this suffering. As a Christian who believes in a loving God, I don't believe God causes suffering to us, but I do accept that as Christians we need to address the question, why, despite the existence of an all-powerful and all-loving God, why does He allow suffering and pain to exist in the world? And I hope we'll take a few moments to address that. And I stress again, I approach such a topic with humility and reverence because there are there, those here today who have experienced far more suffering than I have ever had And I only speak with limited experience on it. But back to the story. So Jesus heads for the house of Jairus. And he tries to keep the people back. But he brings Jairus, Peter, James and John. Now Peter is the connection with the second reading in Acts we'll come to in a moment. That must have been difficult with all the crowds around. But when he got to the home he found a commotion. The people were crying and wailing. It was obvious that the child had died and that the rituals associated with death and funerals in that part of the world had already started. The musicians were playing their laments on their flutes. The the professional whalers were there. Uh, It was very much accepted that the girl was dead. Jesus' reaction to all of this was to say, why are you doing this? The child is not dead but asleep. Now, that's very interesting. Uh, Why did he say that? Because it is clear that the girl was dead. He took the girl's parents, Peter and James and John, up to the room, and he spoke to the dead girl as if she was alive. He did this because he was God. He knew that God brings life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. And Jesus spoke to this girl with the power of his father, and she was raised from the dead. The story not only revealed that Jesus was who he said he was, i.e. the Son of God, but it does raise the question, why did it happen at all? Before I address that, there's one other little thought I think is quite important. When it comes to us praying for help the way through suffering or pain or problems we're going through, it's important to remember that God's timing is not always our timing. And we saw that from Jairus, uh, where Jairus was trying to bring Jesus as quickly as he could to the home. And Jesus turns and heals this woman and then has a conversation with her. That was his timing, not Jairus's, but it worked out. There's a lovely, I'm a a great like of southern gospel music, and there's a woman called Karen Pack who sings a beautiful song called Four Days Late. It tells the story of a man named Lazarus who was dying and his sisters, uh, Martha and Mary, who were good friends of Jesus, sent a message saying, please come. Lazarus is very ill. Jesus, we read, delayed for two days, continuing to teach where he was and then made what was probably a long journey. He didn't respond immediately and when he arrived at the house of Lazarus, it was four days late and Lazarus was dead. But despite that delay... He brought Lazarus back from the dead, and God was glorified. So that beautiful uh, hymn, I was going to try and read it out, but I wouldn't do it just as so. But it ends with um, the, the sentence, but his way is God's way, that's Jesus, not ours or mine, but isn't it great when he's four days late and he's still on time? So, we see in Jairus' daughter the suffering that it brought to that family, but we saw the outcome of that, which was a glorious outcome of her being raised from the dead. But it does raise the question, why does God permit suffering in His created world? Well, I think, I suppose, in summary, there are, there are three reasons. One is we live in a fallen world, and the second is because suffering can actually draw us to Him in some circumstances. And the third is that he went through immense suffering himself on the cross, and he is with us in the middle of our suffering. But let's just deal with those one at a time. We live in a fallen world. God created perfection, and it was through the disobedience of Adam and Eve that death replaced life. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, Therefore, uh, just as sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin, Death came to all men because all have sinned. Yet if God created this world and and is all powerful, why is there so much pain and suffering and why does does he not interfere if he has the power to do so? Well, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 verse 22, we know that the whole of creation has been groaning as the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And Paul reflects here that sometimes something has gone badly wrong with creation, this perfect world that God brought into existence. Not just earth but the whole of the cosmic realm. And we can trace this fall back to Adam and Eve. Revelation would suggest that we can trace it back to an earlier rebellion in the angelic realm. So we live in an imperfect world brought about by sin where our DNA will corrupt or viruses mutate bringing illness and death, where natural disasters disrupt lives and wars wipe out generations. Paul reminds us, however, in Romans that one day creation itself will be liberated from its bondage, its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory. Uh, Revelation says there will be a new heaven and a new earth where God will wipe away every tear from their eye, There'll be no more death, mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order has passed away. The author, Justin Brearley, has described the age we live in as a, a spiritual war zone. And Ephesians chapter six, twelve says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of the, this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heaven re, heavenly realms. So, we see that death, illness, all of those things are part of our natural world. And God does not, so you say, well, why doesn't God protect us from all that? Well, you know, God will not rob us of our free will. One response to this problem uh, of suffering is known as the the free will defense, where uh, when you're dealing with where does suffering come from, it's often a consequence of our wrong choices as human beings. Now, can I immediately say I'm not suggesting if you're sitting in here with your uh, diagnosis of you or a, a friend or a family member that that is fault at all. But many of the things that, bad things that happen to us actually come as a result of bad choices. And yet one of the greatest gifts God has given us is free will and the ability to choose between right and wrong. And the problem is that many people choose to do wrong rather than right, and the consequences may be suffering. But imagine if God intervened every single time you were about to make a wrong choice. Go up that one-way one way street or pass that car on a corner or whatever when you shouldn't be. If God waved or inter- His magic wand or intervened into every incident that uh, uh, we were making a wrong choice. Uh, we would merely be puppets controlled by a puppeteer who ruled our thoughts and actions. So the great gift of freedom and love that God has given us comes at the cost of the evil people may experience as they exercise their free will. But much of the suffering I stress again that we experience does not come as a result of wrong choices but as a result of living in a fallen world. The third reason I suggested was that Suffering can draw us to God. We've said that God doesn't cause suffering to those He loves, but acknowledge that He may allow or at least not interfere when bad things happen to us. And sometimes God may work through the circumstances of our suffering to bring about a greater set of purposes in our lives than might otherwise have been possible. Paul, again in Romans chapter 8, a great chapter. On this subject says, "And we know that all things, that, in, that in all things, God works together for good to those who love Him." All things, not just good things. God may have a purpose for what you are going through. And sometimes it's through our own suffering, or sometimes through the suffering of others close to us that we can see God's greater purpose." And that brings us to the portion I read from Acts chapter nine where a Christian lady called Tabitha or Dorcas had died. Peter was in the vicinity, and they sent two men to come and ask him. She had already died, but they knew that Peter had been associated with some of the miracles of Jesus. And as Peter arrived at the home, the widows stood by him weeping. And it may well have been that their only explanation expectation was that he would bring comfort to those around in their grief over uh, Tabitha's desk, death. Yet Peter must have sensed a, a special purpose in all of this. He would have recalled clearly what Jesus did in that uh, room uh, in Jairus' house. He would have remembered Jesus' words in his head as he ministered. Now, it's interesting, the accounts are slightly different of those two miracles. In, there is no record in, uh, that Jesus prayed in Jairus' house. And there are three records in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke of the, that miracle. But in Peter's case, he bows down and prays. He gets down on his knees and prays for her return to life. So you see, and she was, healed, she was brought back to life and restored to health. So we see there is a good example of where the incident and the suffering of Jairus. Made a major impact on Peter, and he in turn was able to call on the power of God at a later time. Time is now beating us, so I'll move to the the final reason, I think, why uh, God does not prevent suffering to those of us who know him. And that is because the God of the cross suffered with us. The life of Jesus was beset with suffering. He he shared the, the anguish of losing friends, When he wept at the grave of Lazarus, he shared uh, our, our, our joys and our sorrows. He suffered rejection and betrayal, humiliation, and a cruel death. He suffered awful mental anguish. And when Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see that he suffered the worst fate of all, separation from his Father as he bore the weight of our sin. When people ask, where is God when tragedy strikes? I think we can honestly answer, he's right here in the middle of it. So sometimes when we're in the middle of suffering, it's import- impossible to see a purpose to it. There are questions that, and there are some questions that simply will not be answered this side of eternity. But sometimes we will come to an end of trying to explain things and simply throw ourselves on the mercy of God. Sometimes being a Christian means we actually endure, endure more suffering rather than less. Right across the world, uh, in many places, we've talked about this from this platform before, there are Christians suffering persecution because they declare the name of Jesus Christ. But the great thing, of course, is that they know that through that suffering, God is with them. And prayer is so vital when you are in a dark place knowing that Jesus went through more than we will ever experience and knowing that he loves and cares for us and knowing for that his purpose for our life will ultimately win through and knowing that we have that connection to God through prayer that amazing medium that God has given us to not just through uh, reading his word but through prayer is such a powerful weapon in the armory of dealing with the problems that life throws at us. Paul says in Romans again that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us all. So I'll just leave you again with that thought from Jesus as he turned to Jairus and said, don't be afraid, just believe. Thank you david for tackling that difficult subject uh, i'm sure if you would like to speak to david about this subject i'm sure he'd be happy uh, to talk to you after we, we conclude our service just an announcement that i forgot to make earlier um, this evening we have a visiting speaker called scott woodburn it's the final sunday evening in our series on the margins uh, scott is an excellent speaker and communicator uh, for all ages but in particular for younger people And I would strongly encourage you to make it a priority later to come back for our evening service at 7 p.m. It's Scott's first visit to Crescent, and his subject is finding paradise based on the encounter Jesus had with the thief dying beside him on the cross. So please, please make it an effort to return this evening at 7. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this hope that we have been singing about, that hope that lies ahead of us, that certainty in our faith in you. We know that that hope is such an antidote to the suffering that we may be experiencing currently. So we just pray, Lord, for everyone who's been listening this morning. You know their needs and you can minister to them as we turn to you for help and assistance. And I just bless us for the rest of this day and the service that follows this evening. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.